0: Hello and welcome to Splatter Chatter, where October never dies, but my voice probably will by the end of this, so I apologize. I am <laughs> one of your hosts, Miss Melmoy. Me. <clears throat> I'm the other one. They call me Mr. Craigers. They. <laughs> no, they don't. That's a lie. No, they don't. That's a lie. <laughs> it's a lie. Everyone calls me Griff. No, they don't. No one calls me that. No, that. no one, no one calls me that. Um, <laughs> yes, but it is us. We are back again for episode 56. 56? 56? Um, getting deep in there. That's what she said. He Ooh. said. Some, a lot of people probably said. Um, <clears throat> and we are doing part three of our Harvest Horror. Yeah. Um, that we started back in, in the beginning of October, late September, something like that. When was it? Something. Uh, like that. Beginning of October, I think. Yeah. So we're doing yeah. the the Harvest Horror. We we first did um, Wicker Man. Then we did Children of the Corn. Ooh. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> and now we are doing the dark secret of harvest home the dark secret of harvest home as per Uh, mr crager's recommendation yes yes i think it's of the three i think it's the most fitting to be our finale yes um for our our series on harvest horror which i was kind of thinking like i love this idea and there's plenty of other harvest horror (coughs) so maybe it could be something that happens again next year yeah during um, the next harvest. During the next harvest. Um, but yes, as Miss Smile was saying, that is correct. Tonight is The Dark Secret of Harvest Home. Um, per my recommendation. Um, <laughs> for those of you that watched it uh, beforehand, if you did, um, I hope you rather enjoyed it. For those of you that didn't, go check it out because... It's a weird ass movie. It's a weird ass and movie. It's very seventies. <laughs> it's very seventies, and it's probably gonna be really difficult for you to follow along if you haven't seen it. Some like some movies that we talk about, I feel like you can get the gist of it. Yeah. You know, when we're reviewing it. But this one is this one is different. It's from the 70s and it's a mini-series, so there's a lot going on. Yeah. And it was based on that. That's right. Sorry, Miss Mel, I feel like I hijacked. Oh, no, I got the introduction. No, that was it. Was you? I this is actually the first time I've seen it, was watching it for this. Yeah, so this was only the second time I've seen it. Um, and I had forgotten a lot, so I was like, oh, oh, that part. (laughs) And one of the things I forgot was how fucking long it is. It is very long, Um, and even the cut down version is still really long. Yeah, um. That, even isn't that one even like two hours, two and a half yeah, hours? It's two and a half hours. That's the cut down um, version. Yeah, and then the actual version is four hours. So it's like Jesus Christ. Yeah. Um, even as a even as a um mini-series is a long time because it's two episodes, so one of them ends up being obnoxiously long. Cause it's like yeah, you've got part- the one that's like two and a half hours, and then the next one's like three hours. Yeah. B- b- and I'm like, why? Why did they do it that way? Um, <laughs> Why was that in your decision? <laughs> I know because it was a two and it was a two night event. It was aired in two. We'll get there. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so, um, I have some exciting news. Before we dive in, do it. We have correspondence. <gasps> yeah, it's queen. Yeah, <laughs> yes, yes. Um, and this is from our good friend Lindsay. Lindsay. Who we hadn't heard from in a minute. She's back. She's back. She's back in action. She's looking chic. She's looking very sexy. There's a lot of fur involved. You know, it's the nice, it's the full trend. Yeah, huge heels. Um, and she's brought along her good friend, Shondell. <laughs> Throwback. Throwback. <laughs> it's just because I saw this tweet where someone was like, I feel as though Nisi Nash should be put on Mount Rushmore. Yeah. And, and her I've never good friend identified Shandell. with anything stronger in the last decade of my life. They so. need to put her good friend Chandelle up there, too, though. But like lower down on Mount Rushmore. <laughs> my good friend Chandelle. Before she was stabbed in the face <laughs> by Zayday Williams. <laughs> that was the only good part of that show. Was Niecy Nash. <laughs> Okay. Two great seasons of her, and then the rest of the garbage that surrounded her. I will call my supervisor Either. to call the authorities. Call the authorities. Can't we just call nine one one? You need to call one eight six six security. Yeah. Oh boy. Hmm. <laughs> anyway. Now that we've lost about 20 listeners <laughs> that <laughs> nonsense. Um, we have another email from Lindsay. I'm going to get to it right now. Go for it. Lindsay says, hi, splatter chatter, catching up on the last three or four episodes or so and have two things I was wondering about. You mentioned the new Halloween song being very good. And obviously the original is a classic. What other horror songs would you consider classic? Boy. Um, and then she has the second question. Should I read the second question, or should we answer the first question, and then the second question? We can answer the first question. It's okay. Easier. So her first question, yes. What other horror songs do we consider classic? Uh, obviously. It's not a song, but the Chi-Chi Haha's. The Chi-Chi ha <laughs> from Friday the 13th. I consider um, Don't Fear Actually- the Reaper kind of one, because it shows up in Scream, mm-hmm. and it's on the Scream soundtrack, and every time I hear yeah. it, I think of that. I know it's not original, but no. But you could argue, yeah. The um the Nightmare on Elm Street theme is pretty recognizable. Yeah. Recognizable. <laughs> um, recognizable. Uh, recognizable. <laughs> Recognize these balls. Um, <laughs> oh boy. So, like, yeah, interestingly, I feel like the, the, the big three of the slashers has something yeah. related that has been sort of imprinted on horror culture. Yeah. Um. I think. I mean, I you're guess cultists. you could argue some of the music from Wicker Man. Some of the music from but Wicker Man definitely has taken on a cult life. Um, we talked about that. I'm like looking over. You're looking. I can always tell when you're looking at yourself. Not even my horror movies. Truly classic. Oh, um, Psycho. Oh, yeah. <laughs> In the shower. Yeah. We watched that before going to Bates Motel. We did. I mean, how could how I I couldn't let us go to Bates Motel without watching Psycho. No, We napped and then watched Psycho. <laughs> mm-hmm. 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 We still couldn't convince our friend Jamie to come with us, even though she loves Psycho. She wouldn't come to the Haunt. No. Um. What else? We're gonna remember. I'm gonna remember when it's three I in the know. morning. It's gonna be like halfway through the episode, and then I'll be like, no. Oh! Um oh It's not at the same level as like the Halloween theme, but um and Carrie when the blood comes down. Yeah, that's like a big a big thing. Yeah, it's interesting because I feel like it is the the sort of 80s slashers that sort of for whatever reason just had very and it, maybe it's because <coughs> you've got these Villains that are almost like, you know, super villains, right? And they come with their own theme music. I think that's a big part of it. Oh, in- interesting, yeah. yeah. It's like Darth Vader's theme, but like, you know, yeah. slashers. That's really good. And um, I think that's part of why, yeah. Anything else? I feel like there's like some small tunes in Poltergeist that you could recognize by yeah. ear. Maybe the opening of Exorcist a little bit. The opening of the other... Oh, um... Ave Satana from Yes, the- there you go. From The Omen. That's a big one. Yeah. Yeah. I, th- I feel like that's the one that was, like, lodged in my brain, like, you should remember this. Is There's something. One. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> what is that? So, yeah. So maybe Oh, no. and obviously, uh, Bette Midler's rendition of I Put a Spell on You. From Hogas Poga. A huge <laughs> horror staple. <laughs> a huge horror staple. Um... Probably even greater than the Halloween theme. Yes. If we're being honest with ourselves. And of course, we're always honest here on Splatter Chatter. It's a very real podcast. Oh, yes. All right. Now. Okay. So hopefully that answers your first question, Lindsay. Now, she also says um, in this last part of her email. Also, since Miss Mel loves Children of the Corn more than Mr. Craigers, is there things in horror you disagree on? Keep up the creep, Lindsay. Thanks, Lindsay. Trying to think. Is there anything? Here's the question, though: Is have you honestly disagreed, or have you just like? Is there points <laughs> where you just you're like, yeah, whatever. Yeah, 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 me too, me too. Um. Mm-hmm. Well, okay. To be clear, I don't hate Children of the Corn. No, it's not I, like Craig was like, "This is my least favorite movie ever," and I yeah. hate when you make me watch it. <laughs> yeah, I just don't. I have I a weird think attachment Harry to carry as much affection for no, it. No, I just have a weird attachment to it, and I think it's because of the seasonality no, yeah. of it. I like mm-hmm. watching it in the summer and um, watching the little Amish children go nuts. Things in horror that we disagree on. Craig is Craigers is more interested in creature features than I think I am at times. You like a good creature feature. Yeah. I don't dislike them. It's, it's just it's yeah. not if I was given the option, I wouldn't go with a creature feature. Yeah. I feel like we we we're gonna find more things like that
1: where <laughs> Fuck like, this um, guy.
0: He thinks where, so. like, <laughs> where we're going to be going head to head on things about anything in a. Although who knows? Oh, maybe well, okay. Oh, here it comes. I do not like Thaisa Farmiga, and I feel like you do, right? I I I liked her a lot in the Nun. <clears throat> she annoyed the shit out of me in American Horror Story. In yeah. Coven, I did not hate her. In AHS. In The Nun, I actually thought she did a pretty good job. I was I annoyed that... that they did not acknowledge at all. That and that there was looked, no connection. That there was no okay. connection. And she looked identical to Varsity. Yeah, Hamigo. she was okay. My favorite thing that I've ever seen her in is a really great um, horror movie from 2015 called The Final Girls. which oh. is a. It's an homage and a parody of 80s slasher movies. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was like, "Oh, you're really good in this." Yeah, at Normally, this point, I, she's she's queen in like... it up. Um, yeah, she's she's a scream queen for sure. No, and that's the thing is, I feel like she like matured as an actor, and I think the problem was like what Ryan Murphy was giving her and how he was directing her. That's true. Did play a I part don't... in? It. I'm not saying obviously like, and it sucks to like have to compare her to Vera because it's like that's not what this is about. But it's like, yeah, it's hard not to when they look identical and. <clears throat> you know one's Vera Formiga, but um I do think she's getting she's very I, much yeah. coming into her own I think yeah I think she's fu- she's carving out like a niche too and figuring out what she's good at and it's, it's hard because not only is Vera her sister and I I've I find Vera Farmiga to be an incredibly talented actress oh my god um but they were also working in the same genre for a while too, and right? In the same series, like you know, yeah, they were in this. Like they've shared a movie franchise in horror. Tisa was <clears throat> on a horror show. Vera was on a horror show, and so it was so much comparison. So yeah, kind of, eh. yeah, and it's just their career paths invite that comparison for sure. Yeah, um, which they have to know, and it's funny too because if you look at like. <clears throat> them talking about making The Nun they're like yeah we didn't even want to see her audition tape because we didn't, right. to, like, didn't want with to it. have to deal with that and then they did anyway and they're like well fuck we have to cast her because we liked her so much and I was like so work with it Jesus and then they didn't it was so strange it was a so so very strange. odd choice um, but yeah and I don't know I don't know that there's anything that we one yeah. of us feels passionately about and the other one is like no it's. I think it's more like Miss Mel was saying, like, as much as we have a lot of overlap, we we each have like preferences for th- certain things in horror that the yeah. other one might enjoy, but just not might to that feel as passionately. Yeah. Um. Like creature features and maybe certain performers. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Unfortunately, we cannot get in a in a, in, a, in a UFC battle for you. Yeah, I'm sorry. I mean, <coughs> sure that, that, that might make an interesting podcast, but... Yeah, if I could find our podcast, Our podcast started out of intense mutual agreement on horror things. Yeah. So, but hopefully, Lindsay, that still satisfies your answer. Thank you for listening and catching up and getting in touch with us. Um, make sure you're still keeping up the creep, too. Keep that creep up. <clears throat> Excuse me. It's going to be all night. Oh, yeah. As my voice goes. Well, in order to save your voice as much as we can, should we dive right in? We can do that. Oh, boy. We can do that. (coughs) I'll just start signing to you. Signing to you, and then you have to
1: relay it to
0: them. Just start talking like Betty Davis (laughs) and see if that helps. (laughs) Okay. (coughs) Okay. All right, so it's time to dive right in to uh, the third and final entry in our series on Harvest Horror The Dark Secret of Harvest Home from 1978. But first, let's take a listen to the trailer. The Constantine family has come to New England to get away from the evils of city living. Beth, it's a Flemish landscape. Is this your land? Yeah. How come you don't use machinery? Against the ways. Religious ways? No. Just tradition. It's fantastic. Mm-hmm. And almost 200 years old. Wouldn't it be fun to fix up a place like this? <laughs> You've got the house. Oh. I've been told you got a young one. Yes. The coon could use some new bloodlines. Grace Everdeen. Why is this one on unhallowed ground? Some folks got long noses. But the Constantines will discover evils they never knew existed. The killing that sheep with a sickle, and that demented kid smearing blood all over Worthy's face. Do you want me to believe that you accept this local voodoo? Party, 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 party. Let's get Kate and get out of here. No, this is where I belong. This is my home. Rosanna Arquette, Betty Davis, and David Ackroyd are haunted by the dark secret of Harvest Home. Yay, trailer. So. Oh boy. The dark secret of Harvest Home. Um, I figure we'll maybe do a little background and then kind of yes. dive in. Okay. <clears throat> it's, this is going to be really interesting because it's really long. It's long as shit. <laughs> it's really convoluted. It's almost four hours. Yeah. It's the longest thing we've ever talked about solo. Yeah. Uh, so, but it's probably not going to be the longest episode, interestingly enough. But anyway, so the dark secret of Harvest Home was what is considered now one of the ultimate event television, um, moments from the 1970s, right? Um, we d- we don't see too much of this anymore, and um, it was it was sort of phased out. Really, by the time that I was, you know, we were growing up, there wasn't you didn't see too much of this. But for a long time in the '70s and even into the '80s, miniseries were hot commodities on television, and they were major major events when they were on. Everybody, that's what everybody watched. You know, if you didn't, if you missed it, you were fucked. You, you were fucked, and you were out of the loop. And the dark secret of Harvard's home was one of these sort of ultimate event '70s miniseries. Um, for this one in particular, <coughs> a lot of kids were not allowed to watch this one. Um, if you, I, well, I guess nowadays you could probably find discussions on Reddit. I remember. In early college, when I first saw this movie on IM, going on the IMDb message boards, people talking about, oh yeah, I was a kid, and I was whatever, however old in 1978, and my parents wouldn't let me watch this because the church sent home a letter <laughs> saying not to let children watch it. Um, and that, and then a lot of other people have chimed in, like there are stories about this, like that was actually relatively common. Um, Uh, Catholic schools and private schools and and churches sending home letters to the congregation like warning families that this movie was not appropriate for families or children to watch. That's Um, interesting. Yeah, (coughs) and it actually wasn't even allowed to be shown in Boston. In Boston? Yeah, it was completely banned in the entire city, which, you know, uh, the thing is, guys... In 2018, we kind of have to stretch our minds a bit to um, maybe think of, you know, the idea of the church having this much influence is a bit foreign to us now because we've, we've moved away from that a bit some, a, a lot, um, <coughs> maybe not enough, but Yikes. in 1978, it was, it, was, it was a different time. So to, to kind of have the best frame of mind for this discussion, like try and put yourself the best you can in what that would have been like. And and, time like, many the- of you probably didn't live in and neither did we. But think And about neither it. did we. Yeah. <laughs> if you were alive at that time, please get in touch with us. <laughs> Tell me. Yes. Did you watch it live? Mm-hmm. Were you there? So it's a, it's a strange concept for, you know, a, a miniseries or a television event to be banned by a, a city government, especially a large city like Boston, right? Boston, like, yeah. it's, That's strange to me. Um, and we can maybe get into that later when we talk about um, the fact that this story is set in New England. Yeah. So it's a miniseries based off of a novel known as Harvest Home, just Harvest Home, by Thomas, Tryon, Trion. Tryon, Tryon. That's how you say it. Tryon. Um, he wrote this novel, and he wrote one other novel called *The Other*, which is another farm-based horror story that was also adapted into a '70s uh, miniseries um, that I've never seen, but it's been on my radar for the longest of times. I also want to read both both of the books. Um, but they've been out of print for decades and they're really hard to find. Um, so anyway, so the novel Harvest Home was published in 1973 and, uh, Betty Davis read it and she, does she have a copy that she wants to, she has a copy. I need to talk to Betty Davis. Um, and she issued a, oh, she's dead. So I know it's going to be very difficult. <laughs> Um, a statement of some, I, I guess, or whatever. Or she made it known that if this was ever adapted, she wanted to play the widow, um, which is and when interesting. You're Betty Davis. I feel like okay, that's enough clout to totally to get this going. <laughs> totally. Um, and I, I think it was this kind of interest and willingness to take on these kind of roles is why Betty Davis had a career after um, whatever happened to Baby Jane, and Joan Crawford didn't. Mm-hmm. because Joan Crawford refused to play her age after baby Jane. Yeah. Interesting. And, um, Betty Davis was willing to do that. You know, um, like, I'll play the widow. Widow a Yeah. And the thing is, once they did whatever happened to baby Jane, um, which was a very successful sort of classy horror film with the two of them, that's all that they were offered afterwards. Um, they were pretty much primarily only offered horror and science fiction. And Joan Crawford tried to get away with it with uh a movie called Straight Jacket. Um, a slasher movie called Straight Jacket, but she wasn't playing her age and it was like this whole like um May December thing where she was like snagging all these young men and people felt very uncomfortable with that. And so mm. she Joan Crawford just didn't get work anymore after that. Um and we want to get into the gender politics of that, <laughs> we can. We also, <laughs> also have a lot of ground um, to cover. The point is, Betty Davis was willing to play her age, and Betty Davis was still willing to do horror, and so she was able to work for much, much, much longer. Um, now, putting, our, putting ourselves in the mindset of people in the 70s. Oh, boy. It was absolutely without a doubt, unquestionably, unheard of for a movie star of the caliber of Betty Davis to do a television movie in 1978. It just did not fucking happen. That's really weird to us now, I feel like, because everyone's like, oh, whatever, the third golden age of television. Television is better than movies. That's where... Great stories are being told and, and, you know, streaming and cable and all these short, tight seasons so that all this amazing storytelling can happen with all these huge names. Not a thing in 1978. Not a fucking thing mm. at all. Um, so not only do you have just Harvest the Dark Secret of Harvest Home just being an event, event television, you have huge star Betty Davis. <coughs> This thing. So this was huge. So this was huge. And it was a two-night event. It was aired once. It was a two-night event. If you caught it, good for you. If you didn't, you were fucked. And after that, um, it just it just didn't reappear. It just didn't reappear, and it was really difficult to find. Um, they eventually released a VHS and they eventually released a DVD, but like Miss Mel said, that was a cut version. It was cut down to like, what did we say? Yeah, it was cut down to like, from, th- did, from three hours and 48 minutes, it was cut down to like two and a half hours. Or so, yeah, um, something. And it actually, the only time it ever replayed was a few years later on Sci Fi as the cut version. So it only yeah. played in full on TV once. Mm-hmm. Sci Fi aired the cut version, TNT aired not the cut version but still not the full version um and so it's never actually been aired um in its entirety since 1978 however through the different airings over time and the VHS and the DVD there is a cobbled together version that you can now find on YouTube which yeah <laughs> that's how that's that's the only way you can find it yeah um i i mean i've i've looked on amazon to add the and it is very cobbled together for sure into my collection, and it's very very expensive. Um, and yeah, it's very cobbled together. There's a I've seen it. There's like a there's one account that has it in the two parts, and then there's one account that has it all together. I would suggest two parts to make life easier for yourself. Yeah, and you get the thematic, and you get the sense of like where it would have been cut back yeah. in the day. Um. So. So that's a little bit of a uh, just, just kind of like putting us in the mindset, getting us um, sort of understanding, like w- as if we were there, maybe in 1978, yeah. uh, and it was time to 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 watch the dark secret of Harvest Home. Um, maybe some quick notes about uh, the cast, or do we want to do like a quick plot summary, for, <clears throat> um... or like? Maybe first and then we could do the, prem- the premise. premise first and then the cast like we'll introduce the okay the I feel like I've been rambling do you well I can't do talk premise? a ton okay.
1: <laughs> um, so We're gonna, we need to
0: work out some sort of like signal no it's fine yeah, it's <laughs> it's um choking is the signal yeah no we can go over a um a quick plot summary before we dive into the recap um yeah. Okay. But basically the premise of this is, as all good horror movies and, and those sorts of things start, a white family moves to a new place. <laughs> um, the Constantines um, move out of their, their city home, um, which, you know, is rugged and, you know, crime and all that sorts of stuff. And they're fighting and stuff, so they move, they decide to to move out into the country Um to um the co- what is it cor- cor- Cornwall coom. Cornwall I was like it's not Cornhole Coom Cornwall Coom I keep on I keep wanting to say Cornwallis for some reason <laughs> no <laughs> I know I got Coom because everyone calls it the Coom the Coom yeah. um but, but uh Cornwall Coom out in the rural parts of New England um they they buy a house out there and they become part of this very rural farming community um and. Uh Nick, the father starts to realize while they're out there that um things are not quite what they seem at the coombe, the and the very welcoming and benevolent widow fortune um might have some some dark machinations <gasps> Ooh. a dark secret would you a say a dark secret some might say some might say and Going from that, as we said, Betty Davis played Widow Fortune. Betty Davis played the Widow Fortune, um, (coughs) of of course. (laughs) Yeah, because she said she needed to. (laughs) She because she said she needed to. She demanded to play it. She was willing to play it. She plays the Widow Fortune, um, and all of her Betty Davis glory. This was, like, I, peak 70s Betty Davis I speech mean. pattern. <laughs> hmm mm-hmm. For sure. This lent itself so well to that. That's, like, the thing, like, when you, if you ever watch um, older drag queens, mm-hmm. th- when they're sort of doing that, a lot of them do that, like, quintessential Betty Davis voice. Yeah. And, like, most people think, oh, it's, it's whatever happened to Baby Jane, Mm-hmm. You know, because that's when Betty Davis is at her most campy for the the queer community. But th- I think they're really channeling Dark Secret of Harvest Home, <laughs> and maybe because because... Realize it. without even realizing it, because that is when she is at her most peak. Betty Davis. <laughs> Betty Davis. Yeah. No, for sure. <sighs> yeah. So, um, yeah. So she leads the fray as the widow fortune, and you know, top billing and. They blow up her face on all the posters and what have you. And then we, you know, in our um, our our fun little innocent family, we have David Aykroyd playing uh, Nick Constantine. David Aykroyd was a '70s TV staple. He would have been very recognizable to audiences at the time. Um, he was always playing like these sort of like mildly sleazy characters, um, which is, is a not big far soap off guy. Yet. Yeah, he was a huge. So, <clears throat> um, very the character of Nick was—he was sort of playing type for him. Um, he would a lot of some horror people might know him from um, *Deadly Lessons*. He was in that movie with uh, Donna Reed, actually. Um, <clears throat> which is um, an equally strange and ridiculous movie to talk about. <laughs> <laughs> I realized, having watched this on YouTube, that I like YouTube is now offering me the rabbit hole of strange seventies horror that I can watch. Strange seventies horror, yeah. It's like for like the now recommended videos, so I might take a day. Yeah, because all all that stuff that like is so obscure that nobody's picked it up, but then you watch it and you're like, "This is amazing." (laughs) Why is no one talking about? (laughs) Why is no one talking about this? There's people, I don't know, dancing corn. around in corn masks. Oh, wait, that's this one. <laughs> <laughs> I did love that bit, though, of the corn masks. Yeah. But we'll get there. We'll get there. We'll get that. We'll get that. Um, other other um, potentially recognizable names or faces. Oh, jo- Joanna Miles. Joanna Miles played um, Beth. Beth. She played the wife. She um, was on Dallas for um, many years. That's oh, probably good for her. Mm-hmm. That's um, where she would probably be most recognizable to anybody familiar with 70s culture. Um, the daughter... What the fuck is... What's the daughter's name? Kate. Kate, thank you. Um, the daughter was played by Rosanna Arquette. Um, ding, ding, of, all the last name. <laughs> yes. Who would eventually shoot to fame with Desperately Seeking Susan... And what have you, she is, um, obviously of the Arquette acting family. She is David and Patricia's sister and, um, Courtney Cox's former (laughs) sister-in-law, the dead one that I never remember the name, the one that died. That one. (laughs) Yeah. Courtney Cox's former sister-in-law. Um, yeah. So she played. Wait, fuck. Kate, what is Kate. Kate. I don't know why. I, what's happening? <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. Um, Who else do we have that we should probably mention? Um, oh, Michael O'Keefe uh, oh, yeah. played Worthy, the, um, <laughs> Worthy. The, the Worthy, the designated harvest lord before he flees. Uh, Michael O'Keefe, probably most noticeable from uh, his role in Caddyshack. Um, that shot him to, to fame, uh, what would that have been, three years after Harvest Home? Um, yeah. So he's in this. Uh, the little girl, the creepy girl oh, who can see the future. I don't remember her name. I just call her the creepy girl. Um, um, she was played by Tracy Gold. Tracy Gold would go on to be on Growing Pains and would famously <coughs> Missy. Be- <coughs> her name's Missy, thank you. Yes, she would go on to be on Growing Pains and get famously harassed by Kirk Cameron and end up with an eating disorder because he was a hyper-Christian. So that's fun. Jesus. Yeah, look, look into that story if you don't know it, because that's some fucked up shit from the 80s, but then who, what wasn't fucked up from the 80s. This is true. Um, yeah, so that's pr- – I mean – oh. Huh. Also, in terms of the cast – I did not clock this the first time I watched this, which was probably four years ago, maybe, maybe five years ago. But I clocked it this time. Did you see coming up in the, in the credits and the voice of Donald Pleasance as the narrator? No, but looking huh? back on it, yeah, <laughs> that makes and a lot thing, of sense. And the thing is, I saw that when I sat down to rewatch this for the show. Which I had to watch over, like. So did they like dub like, over him? So here's the thing: I was like, "There's a narrator," and I'm waiting, and I'm watching, and I'm like, "There's no fucking narrator." Well, I knew there was like a narration type deal with what's There's his face. There's a thing, and it, but it's not it, and then, and then I realized when it happens, when I don't remember his name, the neighbor, the, the blind, blind neighbor. the blind neighbor, yeah. When he's listening to his audiobooks of like great expectations or is whatever that the it is. Narrator? It's Donald Pleasence. That's what he's narrating. Oh boy. I'm like, that's not a fucking narrator. That's that's the audiobook guy. <laughs> that's what he's doing. And I I did not clock his voice the first time I saw this, but You know when, what's funny? Cause it is so prominent. It's strange. Right? It's like it's yeah. And then when it, was, when it came up this time, when he's, like, listening to them, I was, like, oh, uh, there he is. <laughs> There's a narrator. There he is. I'm, like, why did he get top billing, like? For, like, two scenes. <laughs> two um, scenes of his voice. So hysterical, first of all. Anyway. Um, so that's probably all that we need to mention about the cast. I nice. uh. There's other recognizable names from the seventies: uh, Renee, Albert um Linda Marsh. Um, but we can we can start sort of diving into a proper recap now. Nice. Uh, how's how are you? What's your voice situation? Do you to... <coughs> we will find out. Okay. Are you, would you like me to go? Would you like oh, to I, I. Yes, I thought you meant. Oh, let me let me try this. Oh no. Well, we'll we'll see, but we'll go we'll go and we'll see. It'll be an adventure for all of us, as well, this look, was an adventure for the Constantine listen. family. Listen, <laughs> listen. Well, look, listen. So, indeed, this begins kind of, I guess, with a little bit of a prologue. Yeah, because we start at Harvest Home, mm-hmm. where. Uh, plowing or wait is it plowing day plowing, or planting day? I have no idea. It is it is plowing day. Planting plowing. day, is second. Okay. It's plowing they have like day. a thousand holidays in the span of like 3 months so I don't yeah, I know it's I don't. ridiculous. It's plowing day. They're plowing <gasps> as one does. There's this house that is left abandoned. Mm-hmm um and people are coming by people are interested in it and um the widow it's widow the widow, oh yeah <laughs> okay can we talk about the fact that it's set in connecticut but all their accents are main accents yeah i don't it's there's <laughs> a lot going on in this i've got a couple of those things myself <laughs> to throw out as we go along <clears throat> but uh the widow davis is talking about the house and how um She's she's not gonna get the Widow Davis. Jesus Christ. The Widow Fortune. <laughs> I think we should call her the Widow Davis from now on. I don't know where that came from. That just fell so out so easy. Betty Davis was so convincing. <laughs> Witta Davis. That's great. Uh, the Widow Fortune is talking about the house and how um it, it, it has to go to the right owner. Um, mm. It can't go to just anybody. Uh, was this oh was was this connected to the Grace What's Her Nuts thing? I don't. I or was this just somebody abandoned the house or died or something? <sighs> I couldn't. I could not tell. I, I can't figure out like who this house belonged to. It belonged to someone who no longer owns it. And yeah. People are interested in it, but they don't want to bring anyone into their community. Clearly, like you get that vibe. Um without you know the widow davis says no fuck the widow fortune <laughs> says fuck me, i'm man. fine with it i think we should just do it <laughs> um it says it has to go to the right owner and when the right owner comes along she'll know and they they have this dramatic thing cut to the Constantines in like boston or something some city oh no don't you don't you remember it's <laughs> It's Manhattan. It's ma- Oh, is it Manhattan? Because it, it comes up with the title card. It goes Manhattan. And then underneath it, it comes in New York. Oh, okay. <laughs> and it's like, oh, 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 it's not Manhattan, Ohio? No. Thank you. I didn't get that from seeing the Empire State Building and the skyline. <laughs> oh, Manhattan. Um, yes, yeah, so they're in New York. They live in a small apartment. Uh, they, you know, there's a lot of crime because it's 70s New York. In 70s, Manhattan was really shitty and seedy. Yeah. Um, and, uh, Nick and Beth. We get that. Oh, sorry. Well, what? No, I was just going to say, we get that, um, detail that to now, na- that now seems so strange probably to audiences where the daughter talks about how she has to pay a fee so th- to the gangs so yeah. she can get to school. Yeah. Uh, to Cause I like mug yeah. her. This is my first. So the daughter, here's my first. I'm, let's do it. You can't tell what age she is. She looks 17. Have, she behaves not. like a 10-year-old. I have to do that. And you're like, "How old are you supposed to be?" And she does that 70s thing where the voice she uses is the voice of a child. Voice of a child. She is clearly 16 or 17 years old. But she behaves is as a prepubescent child. Yeah, I don't know what her deal is. So I don't know how old she's supposed to be. But anyway, parents fighting. It's a rough time. This is also the first time we see that Kate, said child, has like crazy asthma. Mm. I'm going to have a comment about this later. I'll (laughs) save it for a later asthma attack. Okay. (laughs) Um. And you know she has an asthma attack trying to break her parents up from fighting because they're screaming at each other, and they just got to get out of the city because it's crazy and everything's terrible. Um, and then they go out of the city to a reading of a a will an estate. Beth's father, grandfather, passed away, left them some money. On their way back, they come through that moment where she's like, "Daddy, are we rich now?" And he's like, "Well, we're comfortable." Well, yeah, <coughs> um, and on the way back and they go. She... Oh, sorry. Well, no. What? Keep going. But then, um, the uh, Beth is like, "What are we gonna do with the money, uh, Nick?" And it's like, "It's your money. Yeah. Wow. He is deciding? It was inherited uh, to you." But then, like, there's that whole thing where she's like at her psychiatrist. She like lives at her. Psychiatrist oh, yeah. She's obsessed with her. Psychiatrist. In the first like thirty minutes of this movie, and she's like, "I just want to submit to him." then he won't let me. And I feel like the psychiatrist is like, can you not? <laughs> psychiatrist is a mondo lesbian, so. Yeah, yeah it's just a huge... <clears problem. throat> um, so, yeah, you were saying. Well, yeah, so they're driving home. They drive through Coom. Uh-huh. And they're like, this place is the shit. They like it. They see there's a house for sale. But, like, they're told it's not really super available. But the locals seem nice with their farming, and it's great and everything's awesome they go back into the city a couple days later they get a phone call hey the house is still available and they're like fuck yeah let's do it and then there's this dramatic shot of the widow and like her buddies like with their dramatic as they hang up the phone because it's like okay so like the slow hangout yeah and it- it's like oh man shit they're planning something um so they move to cornwall coom and tell us what happened next and so, so they move to Cornwall Coombe and they move into the new house, you know, the, the same house from the prologue, of, of course. <laughs> what if um, it was just a different house? Oh, we have a different house. a <laughs> really different house. And they move in and um, what – so, so Nick's, Nick is uh, – he's an illustrator. He's an, he was an illustrator at um, some sort of Manhattan. I think it was like an advertising thing. It's not really important. And now he's – well, he actually – he quits his job before they like – get this opportunity of moving to the house. Yeah, because I guess that was a point and of like, tension between them. And, like, all the money, yeah. And, like, part of the drama in their marriage or whatever. But anyway, he's like, all right, well, I'm going to take this opportunity and um, I'm going to do, like, a, a coffee table book um, of, like, sketches of this, like, quaint little Connecticut town that we've found. And the publisher's like, cool, great, super into it. Can you also find like a little ghost story, a local something other <laughs> just like, busts up the coffee table book? And he's like, "Great, I'm on it." Um, and so they start adjusting to life in the Coom, the as coom. it's called by the locals. Um, uh, Kate and Beth are becoming involved fairly easily. Um, Nick is Nick is a bit more of of an outsider. Um, he starts becoming intrigued. He's sensing that there's some secrets in the town. He's sensing that there's some lies that people aren't, um, or, are, you know, maybe are giving half truths and he starts, um, becoming interested in this mysterious story around a woman, uh, a young girl by the name of Grace Aberdeen. Oh boy. Or Evergreen. This was... I feel like they kept going back and forth. I'm pretty sure it's Aberdeen I can't though. tell what. I can't. Those main accents, <laughs> yeah. those main you accents were, in Connecticut. In Connecticut, okay, cool. You were saying you feel like this. Oh, with lost... the, the, well, no. So it's going to end up being super convoluted. The, the Grace, so, I still, I still don't think I fully understand what happened to Grace. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I understand pieces of it. Yeah, I'm like, oh, okay, the the narrative and. How we're given the narrative is, like, all out of order. So whatever. Yeah. Um, anywho. So, and, and so he, he first becomes piqued in the this, this story of Grace Aberdeen because he notices a headstone for her outside of the Coombe Cemetery. Um, she, wasn't, so she wasn't buried on holy ground. Which is what he says, which seemed kind of out of character for him. It did, didn't it? He like, was like, she's not buried on hallowed ground. I was like, Nick. Yeah, but, the, like, the Constantines don't strike me as particularly religious. Yeah, I was like, why do you suddenly care? Yeah, it's very interesting. Um, and so he's like, oh, okay, that's kind of whatever, and he, he makes a sketch of it. and I feel like he wouldn't have become so interested if it weren't for, like, that scene. Mm-hmm. Like, scenes later where, like, a bunch of people are just hanging out, and no one is talking about Grace Aberdeen or anything, they're just kind of chatting, and then the widow just bursts in, and she's like, Grace brought on the drought! <laughs> You're like, I don't, it's Thanksgiving! <laughs> it's like, no one was talking about her! <laughs> it's like, there's all these people here that are like, what are you doing? They're like playing Parcheesi and hanging out <laughs> and she just comes in and announces it's just it. Just bursting and she's like, it was Grace! <laughs> and then Marlon leaves. <laughs> yeah! <laughs> it's like, what the fuck's happening? Uh, oh boy! <laughs> so Nick is like, oh, okay. So Nick kind of takes it upon himself to like interview people and go digging for secrets. And the and the honestly, yes, the Miss Mel is right. The Grace plot gets very confusing. Um, so we discovered that she was the Corn Maiden at one point. Now. <laughs> 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 Go on. The corn maiden is one of the two Most revered um, Positions In the village of Cornwall Coombe It's a position that is assigned Once every seven years And there's a, a, a Sort of a co um, Position along with it And that's the harvest lord And so One's always a man, one's always a woman And it's you know, sort of like it's a some, um, like a like a mist, you know, like a pageant, something or whatever. But like colonial village some style, straight farm bullshit, right? Some farm bullshit, some farm bullshit. Well, yes, because because I don't think we've we've like clarified, right? Like this is a farm. This is a yeah, super farm this is a farming community, and um, in the town of Cornwall Coombe, they adhere to what they call the old ways. The ways they shun most of modern technology, which is these issue. Yeah. And they and they farm and and live and and sort of celebrate um and their whole existence is around like uh 17th century um uh lifestyle. Shit. Shit. <laughs> A farming rural lifestyle. Nonsense. And, and the ways are very important to them and that's why they're very picky about outsiders and that's why they um are resistant to so many things. So, anyway, and so this ritual of, of the corn maiden and what we learn something about the harvest home ritual and then the harvest Lord and grace was the corn maiden. Um, and we start getting details that, okay, she apparently went crazy and killed herself and that's why she can't be buried on hollowed ground. Um, and then Nick starts picking up on conflicting information he's getting about the story about Grace. Like little dude, oh, like someone calls her a tiny thing and then someone else is like, oh, she was like eight foot tall. <laughs> Which the explanation for this whole thing is like, <laughs> I, can't, I can't fact check you because I don't, I don't know. I don't know. It's like, probably 100% scientifically sound. Was it the best choice? <laughs> I don't know it was a choice. It was a choice. It was a choice. Um, right. So, yeah. And so, and and Nick's getting some, some resistance, some pushback, right? Like, yeah. Okay. So the town has their ways. They've got the old ways, but they're not unfriendly. They're still very welcoming. Um, but you know, they're, they're the newbies. They're still the outsiders. You, you can't be, you don't just get to hop right into the inner circle. Um, and, and Nick's having some trouble with that. And he kind of is... He's going over and he's talking to the couple next door. Or across the field. No I don't know, <laughs> It's a farm. Yeah. It's a farm. Um, and and they're another couple. And they're not... We get the impression that they're also like... They've lived in the coom for many years. But I don't think they were like originals either. Like they're not yeah. quite... But they're not quite modern. Like they still dress kind of chill. Um... The husband is blind, and I, I honestly don't remember their names. Well, she wasn't the wife. She was born there, oh. but then she was raised outside of... Yes, and then she came back yeah. with the Which is their connection, yeah. So she was born That's there, her, yeah. and oh, she yes. left. She will never stop reminding you yeah, that she was born in the Coombe because... Um, How could I say Because she says it like 18 times. Yeah, because Nick always goes to her when he wants to complain about something, and she's like, you forget I was born here. And I'm he was born. like... I don't- Okay, great. Okay. But you grew up in the real world, so can we? Yeah. So eventually, I, I don't know how they, came, but they came back. But yeah, that was their. That was their. Dream. Right. New good point. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. yeah so there. So he's kind of he kind of like goes to them as like his like go tos. Um, but the, still, they're, they're, they're being very welcomed in the town. The widow is, like, excited about having new bloodlines in the town. Yeah, she keeps saying like, new blood, new blood. New blood, new blood. And they're, they mention that they're Greek, and she's like, okay, sure. Yeah, she, she says, she's like, we work with what we can get or something like that. Yeah. It's still vaguely racist. Yeah. <laughs> but it's like, oh, we're going to laugh it off. Yeah. So, and so, and so this is all, it's, it's kind of, it's, it's what you would imagine. Part one of the miniseries, it's all exposition, right guys? It's, we're establishing characters, we're establishing dynamics and threads and what are the relationships and what exactly does it mean that the Coombe adheres to the old ways. And so all of this is happening. And another important thing we need to mention about Cornwall Coombe is that, um, it has a very interesting hierarchy. And what Nick comes to slowly understand is that Cornwall Coombe is a matriarchal society. Yeah. Um, and it, it might not appear that way at first, but it is. Um, Which and, really gets in the way of Beth's plans to just, you know, subjugate herself to, yeah, <laughs> to <right>. Nick. <laughs> to Nick. Um, and that, even if not directly, is a source of, like, subtextual conflict, right? Yeah. Um, and so, you know, there's a there's a town pastor and stuff or what have you, but he's not really the one in charge. It's really sort of um, the widow fortune, because she's like the mayor and the real estate <laughs> agent. And- <laughs> she has no actual title. She's just everywhere. No, she's like the quasi-sheriff bitch. She's <laughs> like...
1: Grace running around. calls the
0: blight. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like, my the blight, running around in her like um, sort of very like, J C Penny. Yeah, widow. Like, it's like, Claudia what do you think look. a widow would look like, like this? Oh yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's like, why are you wearing that? No nice. one else is. <laughs> Whatever. Um, and so she's she's kind of the one really running things, right? Um, and another interesting thing that. Nick and the audience starts to learn about the Coombe is that what's going on here in terms of, um, culture and religion is a blend of Christian and pagan elements, um, which is very strange to Nick and would have freaked out a lot of people watching in 1978. So, so all this is going on and, um, and Nick is learning about grace and he starts hearing things that yet oh she was flaunting herself around town. And she was like a little. She was showing her lower ankle to every Tom, Tom, she was another Tom in, in the village. our village. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, and so she had to be cast out. And that's not appropriate for the corn maiden. And then so I asked myself, well, why was everybody so glad about, mad about Grace being flirty when the postmistress <laughs> is a straight hussy? Is this Tamar? Is that what she <laughs> is? is <it>? yeah. <laughs> yeah. Holy shit. <laughs> Holy shit, right? Can we talk about she's Tamar like, for a hot she's second? She's like a straight-up stripper just walking around Just walking around! And everyone just chooses to ignore this. Yeah! And I was like, why did you guys get off?" And she was and corn maiden at one point. And she was corn maiden, so why was everybody all up in a tizzy about Grace, but then Tamar's over here, like, slashing her titties like in the middle of the, uh, fucking, uh, Agnes Fair or whatever. No, she's <laughs> ridiculous. You know, and it's interesting looking back on Tamar and like Missy and stuff and like understanding finally like what that deal was like after you get to it the it is end, interesting like yeah, you're like, like oh I get okay I see what happened like when you find out Tamar was corn maiden and you're like oh yeah I get it no Tamar's straight up like a siren <laughs> <laughs> she is because she, she instantly starts making eyes and trying to seduce Nick yeah and it's like I feel like I definitely had moments though where I was like, is this is this part of the plan or is this just tomorrow yeah, going? Yeah, because it almost felt a little bit like Wicker Man, where yeah. she was like trying to like bang With him Willow. to save him. Sergeant Howie. Yeah. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. I was like, is this part of the plan or is she just going rogue? is <laughs> <Tomorrow's laughs> definitely going rogue. <laughs> yeah. We learn by the end. Tomorrow just because like, whatever. I'm just like, okay. Um So, so Nick takes a moment and he, he kind of, and he goes to Beth and he's like, what the fuck, you know, like now they've, now they've experienced, I think they've experienced planting day and, um, they go to the Agnes fair and, um, Kate has a little asthma attack there that the widow here, should we talk about that? Here's my thing. Yeah. Okay. Why? Why? We understand that she has clearly hefty, hefty asthma. Mm -hmm. Not wimpy wimpy wimpy. Why is the inhaler never on someone's person? She has like three asthma attacks and Beth is like, get the inhaler, it's in the car. Get the inhaler, it's in the living room. <laughs> I just, Get the inhaler, it's in the basement. It's in the, the seat house. <laughs> yeah. like, what the fuck? Like, she routinely, get the inhaler, it's back in our apartment in Manhattan. <laughs> she routinely has these crazy fucking asthma attacks. Nobody ever has the inhaler on their person. Somebody always <laughs> has to run to go get it. She should be wearing it around her neck. It's nuts. It's nuts. I don't even like I have asthma. It's not that horrifically bad. And I still take my inhaler to like work. <gasps> not for them. Not in 1978. Jesus. You... That like bugged the shit out. I was like, why is this the fifth time I'm watching him run to get the inhaler from some like far-off land? In 1978 <laughs> you'd leave it with the Christmas decorations in the attic <laughs> when you went out. It'll, they threw it in the corn for safekeeping. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> They never have the inhaler. and anyway. They never have the inhaler. They <laughs> never have the inhaler. And she has an attack. She has an attack at the Agnes Fair. And what happens? Um, so she has an asthma attack. I forget what precipitated this. Um, it's when they're watching the wrestling, I think. Is that it? She, yeah. So she has, I don't, don't know. She fucking has that, an like, asthma attack. Uh, it's not. It's, yeah. Um, and of course, <clears throat> no one has the inhaler on them. <clears throat> so. Um, Nick has to run to the car where the inhaler is. While he's doing that, <coughs> the Widow Fortune steps in, Resputin style, and mm-hmm. just straight up strokes Kate's head, I guess, into like, you know, a non asthma attack. By the time he gets back with the inhaler, she's calmed down, she's fine, she's napped out on the Widow Fortune's lap. Yep. And everyone's like, Holy shit, like what was that? I don't know. <laughs> Who's that, to say? It was say. It was wild. Now <clears throat> our young our young fellow, Worthy Pettinger. <laughs> Worthy Pettinger. That's his name. Um is a rebellious young fellow in that he wants to use plows that are like, you know, like tractors and shit. He wants to use tractors and lawnmowers on this farm because he's like, I could do all this yielding shit. And he wants to go to agriculture. Revolutionary! Yeah, no, it's crazy. He wants to go to agricultural school and learn how to like farm shit, like for reals, for reals, and like mm-hmm. yield a crazy harvest and help the town. And everyone else is like, fuck you, heartworthy. Those aren't the ways. We use our handheld hose and, and you know, do this by hand. We yeah. hoe it up. So he's kind of got a little bit of like tension in the town. Um, But obviously, asthmatic Kate takes a shine to him for a bit until Kate starts to like go native and she's like, Worthy, those aren't the ways. And he's like, Those aren't the ways. Those aren't the ways. Because Worthy at the Agnes Fair, which is the purpose of the Agnes Fair, is named the next Harvest Lord. He is the Young Lord. The Young Lord. so that, yeah, you know, there's an outgoing lord, and he's going to be the, the incoming lord. And when you're named the new lord, it means you are not allowed to set foot outside of the coom during your term. Your seven-year um, term. Which is seven years. And, of course, that ruins where these plans to go to agricultural school. Yeah. And how they pick this is ridiculous. Missy, for some reason, picks... <laughs> <laughs> I guess it's because they think Missy... Would has some sort of gift, this creepy little child of like right? I know she can solve the future and shit. <clears throat> but they <clears throat> they kill a lamb and she like dibbles around in its blood and guts for a second and then takes her hands covered in sheep's blood and just walks around for a little bit until she, she comes across the young lord and then just She sure know, does and doesn't. she slaps him on the face with her, her red hands. Um <clears throat> and she picks worthy. Um and it's a big old wrench in his plans to go to agricultural sure school. Um, and he's not happy about it. Mm-mm. And he's talking about this shit to to Kate, who tells him it's not, you know, it's not becoming of of the young lord to behave this way and all this shit. <clears throat> and, you know, he's like, oh, my God, this is terrible. And everyone's turning on me. And his parents are freaking out at him. You know, his mother has this great scene in the kitchen. She's like, you're the young lord. Because he, he wants to go to, you know, farm school and she's, they're all devastated. Devastated. And, and he's just completely, you know, not about this. He's, he's horrified by this, like whatever it means to be, to be the Harvest Lord is apparently terrible, mm-hmm. um, to, to Worthy at least. Um, right to the rest of the town, it's a huge honor. Yeah, so he's like flipping out in town. He's running into church and saying bullshit, and then running out of church. <laughs> That's the best. That's the um, best. So it's it's causing a whole kerfluffle. It's causing a whole kerfluffle. Um, his his angst, which is which is justified, as we'll come to learn. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um. <clears throat> now, meanwhile, we've got Nick. Who's trying to, to um, kind of do that thing? He's like, "Am am I the crazy one here?" You know, like he goes to Beth and he's like, "You know, after the the Agnes thing, and he's like, a little girl with blood and all this stuff." He's like, "Are you like, are, are you kidding? This is this is a bit too much for us." And I love her justification, Beth's justification about why she's like into it. And she's like, "Well, I'm a preacher's daughter." And I'm just like what? Okay, <laughs> what? <laughs> this should be. This should be your whatever. <laughs> um so there so Nick's trying to like make the best of it cuz he sees that his wife and his daughter are like into it or whatever. He can't deny the fact that the widow Davis, <laughs> the widow Fortune helped <laughs> his daughter with the asthma attack um they get her a horse for like a reward for surviving asthma i guess uh. <laughs> yeah, she just has a horse <laughs> she just has a horse as her reward. i just assumed because it was the 70s and that's what all girls wanted she was a horse chick <laughs> she was a horse chick the OG horse chicks were born in the 70s yeah no it was uh, a big time for horses And so she's like, she's riding around on her horse all day and mom's making corners. Which, why are they not more concerned that she's not going to school? (laughs) 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 Can you answer that for me? I think, here's my answer to you, is because this takes place during the summer. Oh, I guess you're right. We'll worry about school in the fall. I guess. So. Okay. But here's my slight counter. He asks Betty Davis about, he's like, well, where do the kids go to school? And she's like, oh, there is no school. <laughs> she's like, there's a high school over in whatever. In Saxony. But no one, go- no one- in Saxony, but no one goes there. <laughs> yeah. So, like, yeah, eventually it's going to come up that it's a problem. But that is my immediate response is that this entire movie takes place during the summer. Good point. I guess I forgot about that um, because we're, we're gearing up for the harvest. Right. Okay. Um, okay, yeah, so, so now, yes, now we are, we're more or less, we're into part two, we've got Worthy running around, oh, w- so worth noting, Worthy uh, noting, Worthy noting, <laughs> listeners, um, is a place called The Lonesome. The Lonesome is a part of the forest that surrounds Cornwall Coombe, and um, it's supposed to be haunted, and there's, like, this thing where, like. Um, there may or may not be a ghost in there and there's like this crazy oh, yeah. guy running around saying that he's seen the ghost and we get this scene near the end of part one where Nick maybe sees the ghost but we never circle back to that like the ghost storyline is just dropped well he sees um, he sees what he believes to be a skeleton and yeah he sees the skeleton and he and he um, thinks it's the body of grace Right, of grace. Um, and that, For that's, some reason he that. He something happened that. to her in The Lonesome or whatever. And he's, he kind of, like, sort of makes an accusation at the widow because she's, like, really the one who, like... Something about the souls, he says. Like, she's yeah. the charge of all the souls in The Coombe or whatever. Um, and then there's, like, these... There's these grumpy moonshiners that also live in The Lonesome and... <laughs> The Grumpy confused the fuck out of me because I was I'm like, so who side are they on? Like, who are they? <laughs> because, like, they're, they're outsiders, <coughs> I'm pretty sure. Yeah, they're not part of the... But they're protecting the lonesome because we <clears> find out later... Well, okay. Let's get into part two. <laughs>
1: yeah, yeah the so the Moon's cop trying. shows
0: up, the cop shows up, and there's no skeleton. And there's no he skeleton. He didn't see anything. Right. And there's no skeleton, and it's like, oh, okay, whatever. And now it's, it's part two, and everything is all of a sudden very sexy. Oh yeah, oh, yeah. Tamar's um, not even in this scene. It's very sexy. Yes, yes, and there's all of a sudden there's there's mead everywhere. The widow's mead. You know, everybody's oh, very mm-hmm. um. You know, the widow brings over some uh, elixir for the Constantines, and they're and they're abiding in it, and they're they're starting to be drawn to each other in a way that they haven't been for a long time. Right? There's this reoccurring thing about um they haven't been intimate with each other for a long time. Nick has actually based on the conversations with the psychiatrist in part one, he's he's been with another woman. Oh. And, and so they're they're coming back to each other. They're drinking this elixir and uh, there's that the awesome. dance scene. I fucking Absolutely. love the okay. dance scene. Yeah, the dance scene, but like right before the dance scene when he's like Beth. You know, they're like looking longingly at each other on the porch or whatever, and then she's like, I'll be waiting for you. (laughs) (laughs) In like her sexy demon voice. (laughs) (laughs) We should all aspire to a sexy demon voice to entice our partners. I was like, this is amazing. Okay. I did not remember that from the first time I watched it. And I was like, what happened? <laughs> if you don't know what to do, just channel Beth's sexy demon voice. <laughs> oh my god, my <clears up. throat> It'll A- win ready? it'll win them over every time. <laughs> or yes. or summon right. dancers into your backyard. Summon dancers. Right. Summon right, okay. corn dancers. They're having the elixir. Beth is suddenly very <laughs> brandy now. She goes upstairs to get ready for Nick, and then and then what happens? Nick is still outside, and then what happens, Miss (laughs) Mel? Nick is transfixed out on their their little patch of. Looks like they have a little corn patch outside. Yeah, which I'm like, I was trying to figure out because I feel like when we get the shots of him going over to the neighbors, there is no corn. Well, and because when Worthy talks to him, and when Worthy talks to, well, it's it's possible. I guess we could argue that the corn is also part of the hallucination in this uh, that was, yeah, that's true good point because uh where they talk him about planting corn as if it's like a future thing later um <clears throat> but yeah there's a little corn field in their backyard and out pops these two like fucking bohunk swan lake dancers <laughs> um it's obviously meant to be you know the harvest lord and the corn maiden right and they're dancing we can't see their faces though their faces are obscured and they're dancing and it's nuts it's like it's like wicker man levels of very Wicker man like it's Mm -hmm. insane and it's it's such it's so great which this movie this miniseries whatever echoes the wicker man in many ways yeah oh yeah so Um, you know they're dancing they're doing their thing he's just like just watching, like he's just he's got no, he's got a expressionless face on that face of his. He sure does, he's got nothing uh, to say, but it's like, it's like, I feel like he's have a larger reaction than just, yeah, the no, sort he of just like kinda, expressionless. He just kind of oh. like, like, like he's a high guy staring at like a spider weaving its web a little bit, you know, <laughs> like that's what's happening. He's going into the spider verse. Oh my god, that looks so good. Also, complete tangent. I don't not want to see Detective Pikachu. Yep, <laughs> right? <laughs> it's a weird feeling. Anyway, mm-hmm. so the dancers dance for a little bit, um, and it's you know it's a sensual dance between the two mm-hmm. of them, and you know all this stuff, and they dance away into the corner, just <laughs> off into the corner <laughs> to do whatever they're gonna do. My favorite is that there's like, um, you know, that that you might see out of Harvard stuff or whatever. There's like two patches of corn with a path in between, but they don't take the path. They go go into into the the corn. corn. They're in the corn and they disappear into the night. Yeah. Um, That's pretty fucking amazing. At which point he goes back upstairs and, you know. Right. And 1970s stuff happens. Yes. (laughs) Yes, seventy <laughs> some 70s stuff happens. <laughs> some some stupid stuff went down. Uh, I don't know. It's still like my favorite Family Guy bit ever. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. Some stupid stuff went down. Anyway, <laughs> so yeah. Anyway, um, so right, that so they... Oh, sorry. Well, no. So that happens. That happens. Um. But yeah, they finally reconnected, and it's very precious. Um. <laughs> with the demon voice and everything. But there's still lots of tension there, perhaps even um, more tension than there was back in Manhattan, you know, because then Beth sees that Nick has these sort of unflattering sketches that he's been working on, right, mm-hmm. for the coffee table book. And he's becoming very vested in this, like, ghost story angle um, for many reasons now. He's, you know, and so she sees his, like, very sort of, like, Stranger Things, Shadow monster Nightmare drawings of New England terror, and they have like a little tiff. Um, and then uh, Nick ends uh, finds himself as he continues his investigation in the lair of the postal hoe Tamar, <laughs> Tamar, the <laughs> postal hoe, the local <laughs> siren, the local siren, <laughs> um, and her creepy daughter. Um creepy girl. What's her name? You Missy. Told me. Missy. Missy. Missy, I cannot remember. could not remember her name. And Missy. And um Tamar is making further advances, and Nick kind of gives in. Not kind of, he does. <laughs> um, um she's and so as Tamar is like getting ready to mount him. <laughs> uh, <laughs> this is what happens <laughs> now. <laughs> we hear Missy start screaming from outside and so they come rushing out and she's going big knife big knife um for whatever reason. <laughs> and then then here's Kate um riding around on her horse not in school and <laughs> Oh right, it's summertime. Whatever. Yeah. <laughs> I, I I burst that bubble a little bit. Yeah, it's okay. It's okay. And then Kate, uh, or the, well, then a chicken scares Kate's horse, and there's almost a terrible accident. And, daddy, daddy, save me! You're seventeen. <laughs> She's a fucking adult. You're you're a <clears throat> grown ass woman. Um. And so Nick goes and and he, and he saves her real quick, and it's kind of like read or I read this scene as like this was like a punishment for Nick, mm-hmm. for having like given into Tamar. But I don't know because I don't know if that was part of the plan, or once again if Tamar was going rogue. And then meanwhile, uh, Missy is trying to warn people of shit. Like and Missy's trying to warn people of shit, and it's no one's really listening. Um, and so there's no horse related accident, but. As soon as Kate is off the horse, she has another asthma attack. Because, of course. And, of because course, no one has the inhaler on their person. Gone. So he picks her up, and, like, for some reason, she becomes an instant rag doll. <laughs> and, <laughs> and then he rushes her back to the house and comes inside. And he's like, Beth. And she's like, get the inhaler. It's, you know. It's a fucking who knows. It's locked in the washing machine downstairs. I don't know why I'm doing the Betty Davis voice, for Beth, but I just—it fits. Any excuse to do the Betty Davis voice. And so, um, Nick has them call the doctor and the fire department. Sure. <laughs> he says, "Call the doctor and the fire department and the firefighters or whatever." It's literally what he says. And they come, and it's the laziest doctor in the world. <laughs> They've got that breathing thing on there, yeah, or whatever. The, the, the thing. The nebulizer. Yeah. yeah. And it doesn't work, so the doctor just gives up, and Kate dies. Kate straight up dies. Kate straight up dies. And it's very devastating for Nick, but Beth is like, nope. And she runs outside, and she gets the widow fortune. Yeah. And the Widow Fortune does what, Miss Mel? So she bursts in <laughs> like a and she, can, b- <laughs> and she goes, Grace happened, must apply to <laughs> She, she lets it. us know that before she takes a scalpel. Um this has a name, a medical name. Yeah. A trache like a tracheotomy. Tracheotomy. Basically, she cuts a an incision right at the base of um Uh, kate's neck and then takes a tube and then breathes directly into her trachea essentially Mm. to give her oxygen because the um, nebulizer was not doing the trick and then eventually she starts breathing again everything's great i get the assumption like from what i get at this point on is that this kind of like for whatever reason cured her because she does not have another asthma attack after this point right Despite Which the fact that there are moments when she 100% should have asthma attacks based on, so after this there is no she asthma does. attack after this little tricky otomy or whatever you call it, mm-hmm. but yeah she comes in and she makes a little incision, puffs some air into her throat and uh, Kate is back to continue to be a confusing age for all of us. Um, to just and Beth's very just, like. Oh my God, it's great. I'm not even going to question it, whatever. Um, Nick is a little bit like, what the fuck just happened about Mm -hmm. all of it. Um, (laughs) And throughout this whole scene, he's got lipstick smeared all over his face. Yeah, he's got lipstick all over his face and he's super sweaty. It's ridiculous. ridiculous. Um, So yeah, the whole thing is bizarre as hell. Mm -hmm. It's pretty weird. It's pretty weird. So then... um, Oh God, let's see. So, all right. So then we return to the story. You'll remember when Miss Mel mentioned Worthy having his meltdown. Yes. And he, you know, he just can't take the thought of having to stay in the coom for the next seven years. He wants to live a proper life. So, um... He makes plans to escape but his parents have uh taken his like his money um his secret stash or whatever. Oh, yeah, he was saving money. Yeah, he was saving money and um so he's very upset about that and he goes to Nick and he explains uh that he wants to uh join the navy um I think this is after his meltdown at the church. Yeah, he has this... It's a weird meltdown at the church that happens, and then he runs away, and nobody talks to him. Yeah, it. he runs in, and he says, damn the corn, and damn the mother. And then runs out of the church. And then runs out of the church, and everyone's like, oh my god! <laughs> um, <laughs> Holy shit, we were having a fine Holy time. shit, we were in the middle of tithing day. Um, and it is all very extra. And anyway, so... Worthy goes to Nick and he asks him for some money and Nick is happy to oblige so that um, Worthy can go uh, join the Navy. Of course, we all really know that Worthy has to go play golf with Bill Murray. Yeah. Uh, and so, and that's and that's kind of the thing, right? With Worthy, he, um, yeah, he wanted to leave, but it was all it was like. Kind of for the good of the coom, right? Yeah, He wanted to go yeah. learn how to farm farm, yeah, so he could, was... you know, farm farm. Yeah, so he like he was gonna come back. He still wanted to help his home, but then everyone was a dick to him. So he's like, "Well, I'm just fuck you. I'm just gonna leave in yeah, so for he myself." Yeah, gonna like sail off. So he was gonna sail off. So so he pieces out, and it results in his parents being shunned. Yeah, by the rest of the town. I love that moment where they literally the whole town just. <laughs> turns <himself. laughs> I don't think that's how shunning works, but I also don't they know. literally turn their backs on them, and it's amazing. Um, and so, in his absence, Worthy has to be replaced as the Harvest Lord, and they uh, they go with a uh, uh, fucking Jimmy Minerva. Everybody keeps talking about Jimmy Minerva, and we never actually <laughs> meet him. Like, he's, like, fucking the bee's knees or something. Yeah, and I was like, if he's so fucking great, why didn't you make it him in the first place? Yeah, because um, literally, what's his face? Justin says that at one point. Yeah! current Harvest Lord. He's like, should have been Jimmy and Merver in the first Should've place. Yeah. <laughs> and the next like, guy well, was like, well, why don't you just do that and avoid all this? Well, it's because they wanted to keep Worthy in the comb. Um. Anyway... So then we kind of move into whatever the next holiday is. Um, I wrote them down. They have like a thousand holidays. Um, Would this be Husking Bee? Corn Play? I think it's Husking Bee or Sheaving Tide. Tide. And then Husking Bee and then the Corn Play and then Kindling Night and then Harvest Home. Yeah. Um, Which is so many. So the Husking Bee Festival was bizarre. Yeah. Uh, And the best way is basically just everybody like ripping up corn and a lot of like sex play Um, (laughs) and like moonshine, like Nick and Beth are all like moonshined up. He's like, that's the, it's just this part where he's like, this is the best night of my life or whatever. Right. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And that's, uh, that's fun. Um, This is the dance, right? Is this the dance bit? Yeah. This is the dance. Yeah. Yeah. Um, do we want to talk more about that well that up until you know it's the best night of his life until he sees his daughter dancing you know basically they're all just fucking corn right? essentially (laughs) at this dance Um, and he she is like in the midst of the dance and she's the center of attention and she's dancing very sensually and everyone's dancing around her and he tweaks out while Beth's like, she's having fun. Like, it's fun. Um, he freaks out and he runs over and grabs her and, you know, accosts her. And then everyone freaks out on him for doing that. And then he gets dragged outside and beat up by the townsfolk for, you know, interrupting the, you know, the, the corn dancing. The corn dance. Yeah. How could you? And it's funny because this is such a big reaction from everyone and nobody talks about it later. Like, the next day, everything's fine. <laughs> everything's totally chill. Yeah. Because then he's out drinking with, like, all the guys. Yeah. And then he, they see the, the kids go by with the weird uh, masks. Yeah. That was after. That's after, right? Yeah, because they have, like, And then he's like, what the fuck? And Beth doesn't even talk about it. She does not even get it. Yeah. And they're just like, oh, it's for the corn play. And he's like, no, what the fuck? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's, the whole um, thing is bizarre. It's very bizarre. Um but then it it does feed into the corn play, which is the next thing, um, and it's also very sexualized, yeah. you know, sort of hypersexual ritual being played out, very pagan, lots of elements going on. Um, it was also long as shit; took like a thousand years to uh-huh. get through this scene. Jesus. Jesus. Um, and so, and it's all sort of you know, there's more to, like. Uh, we get more of this this sense of mystery, right? And every you know more things being cryptic, more about um, Grace Aberdeen and trying to piece together the mystery. And um, after Worthy's uh, uh, little outburst, Nick starts asking people, "What is the mother? What what does that mean? Who what does that mean and stuff or whatever?" And what that's, the what the heck st- is that? Well, no, yeah, and we, that's when we start getting um, a lot of the answer. No man may know. No woman may tell. Um, and so this becomes, you know, the next layer. And it's all building up to the final um, day of celebration, Harvest Home. And Nick oh. senses that. And we're, of course, we know that as well. Um, Harvest Home is actually a real um, old-timey uh, festival in England. <coughs> it's just sort of the last celebration of summer. And everybody gets really drunk. and. Heyo probably we should do that next year fucks we should we should we should get drunk and we should all fuck we should all fuck but we have to do it like the english would do it and not talk about it and And not talk about it to the next day at tea tea. um yeah and so this is what we're building up to and everything becomes increasingly sexualized as we're leading up to harvest home but i mean really their whole culture is sexualized right Sexual undertones from the very beginning, fertilization, yeah. the seed, the growing of the earth, right? Yeah. Um, well, that's so, the whole play, too, is that the corn maiden and the harvest lord right. come together to create the corn. And they come together and they create the corn because the corn is needed, right? The seed is mm-hmm. needed, but both but will eventually die. But the earth will live forever. Yeah. And that's, and that's where we get the basis for this society. Man is needed for his seed, mm-hmm. but will die. And woman, the, the bearing the fruit, they must go on, um, and what have you. So, let's get right into it. Yeah. Harvest home. I mean, other okay. things. Other things happen. Like there's other, all these, yeah. like <coughs> there's things bullshit. Things where like there's different things that are designed to sort of like humiliate Nick. Um, and then like the large scheme of things to remind him of his new place in the coom. Like you're a man and you have to make peace with that. And your wife and your daughter belong to the town now. And you can be here with them or something else can happen to you. Yeah. Um, and so we finally reached the night of Harvest Home. And, This is where the true power of the matriarchal society really comes out, because the men are locked up for the evening. They're not allowed to leave. All the phones don't work. Um, The cars are gone. I don't know how they manage all this shit, but they do. Yeah, no, who who the fuck took the cars away in the middle of the day? day? (laughs) Where are (laughs) they? Yeah, they say they're behind the barn or some shit. Where are all the keys? I know that and whatever. Um, And so and all the women go out to the lonesome in the woods, um, which we find out is a protected ground. It's sacred ground. And that's kind of what the grumpy moonshiners do. They they keep people away from it. Um, And they're going to have their meeting. And Nick is unwilling to. To let this just happen. So, what does he do, Ms. Mel? So, he breaks out of this little... Because he goes across the street to talk to blind neighbor man. Yes. About this whole ordeal, which is where he learns the car... Because, okay, there's crazy man in the woods. Right. Was taken, basically... He was found, he was sickly, his tongue was cut out, all this other stuff. We learn... Well, we don't learn. We know from the second this happens, but Nick learns that um the widow and her her fellow compatriots have cut out his tongue to prevent him from spilling the secrets so he decides he's gonna go and you know get his car and get his daughters and get tongue dude i forget his name jack i think jack um and go to the cops or john so when he goes to get his car realizes it's gone the keys are gone he goes across the street to blind neighbor who explains, yeah, like, we're all, we have to stay indoors, as a curfew tonight, men aren't allowed to go out, the cars are all locked up, and he explains that he takes off his glasses, and, you know, you see his, his blinded eyes, and he explains that he was blinded by the widow and the women after he attempted to go see what happens at Harvest Home. He didn't actually see what happened, which is why he is still most attacked. Because... No man may know, no yeah. woman may tell. Yeah, so he is caught trying to see, and they blind him in response, and he just kind of accepts that this is life from this point on, and he tries to tell Nick this, and Nick is like, fuck this. And he runs off to where the women are gathered for Harvest Home. hmm uh, Because hubris. Yes. So... The women, where did they go? He could have just stayed and listened to Donald Pleasance with The Blind Neighbor. Yeah, it was a great, you know, I, I love to listen to audiobooks. I don't, I want to know where all the women get these white shawl cloak things. Right? Like, are you manufacturing them all year round? Do you It's like, if like, you've ever seen that thing, and it's like, who makes the robes for the KKK? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> who makes the robes for the Harvest Home Bitches? Who makes the home for the Harvest Home Bitches? Because they are all nope. these white robes. And there's there's tons of white robes. And they're dancing around, and we learn what happens to the previous Harvest Lord when he reaches the end of his seven-year term. Right. Which is that he is dispatched. sexed to death. He's sexed, and then he is sliced and diced. Okay, so another thing to point out here, too. Is that our corn maiden... Oh, right. Shit. Yeah. It's important to point out our corn maiden, our standing corn maiden. We know mm. that our, our standing harvest lord is Justin Woods's nuts. nuts. Um, our standing corn maiden, Sophie, before the night of the thing, kills herself. And mm. she's saying to Justin before this, she was like, I can't do it. I love you and I can't do it. And yada yada. I and we're like, what the fuck does this mean? I don't know. We don't know. Um, but she kills herself. So mm-hmm. fuck... We waited seven years. We need a new corn maiden. We need a new corn maiden. At first, Tamar's like, I'll do it. And it's like, Tamar's been corn maiden. <laughs> <laughs> that noise. Yeah, so Tamar gets shut down. Kate has the bright idea to put it to a vote. Um, obviously, they vote for, Kate, or for Beth to be the next corn maiden so beth is corn maiden, and it's like okay first of all beth is pregnant which i think we forgot to mention well she was pregnant but then she wasn't pregnant she thought yeah. she was pregnant it would turn out to she be a it's like can you really be a maiden but whatever yeah yeah no she's not a maiden in the slightest um she's not pregnant and that's one of the things is that um one of the hints i guess to all this is because nick is sterile he had mumps and he's now sterile so it's like they're talking about new blood and it's like nick and her can't have any more kids but she can have kids so she's not corn maiden justin is still the harvest lord and they've unblindfolded justin because justin gets to see what you know the secrets of the mother and mm-hmm. that stuff and then what happens so then there's this like there's this long uh, ceremony and ritual right it's very chanty it's very eerie betty davis is up there and she's lecturing about the corn and the seed and the town and the harvest oh, da 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 da, da, da. And the cor- first the corn maiden is covered and, da, 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 da. and then it's revealed and it's Beth. and it's a very very long final sequence all this stuff is involved nick is there he's spying there's this whole thing about the pastor groveling and I w- at one point nick was arrested and then so like This is after that. I just remember that now. Anyway, so then the ceremony, the chanting, and the blah blah blah, and it all leads up to Beth and Justin fucking, fucking in the middle of the lonesome, while all of the women watch and dance and cheer and celebrate, and they're. I feel like that's not the best environment for. uh, It's probably not intimacy. No, but it happens nonetheless. Yeah, and then there's you know. Were to believe, then there's climax, completion of this ritual, and then bam! Beth slits Justin's throat. Yeah. And kills him. Like a straight-up black widow. Like a straight-up black Spider widow. Spider-eating her um, And Justin knows that this is going to happen, and he accepts it. Yeah. Because it's an honor, right? This, this is the honor we've been told about um, this whole time, about to be the Harvest Lord. And Nick is um uh caught shooketh and he shooketh color him shooketh and um you know he's he's uh sort of taken in but the widow lets him watch anyway um yeah she's like let him see he came to watch let him see Came to watch let him see and uh so he does see he watches he watches everything go down and um he does his best best to resist, but he has to be um, punished for violating this sacred law of the comb. No man may know. No woman may tell. And so he is punished. He is blinded. Yep. And uh, his tongue is ripped out as well. Yes, it is. Blah, blah, blah. Gone, gone, gone. To make sure the secret remains. The dark secret yeah. of Robert's home. And <laughs> the best part is that, like, the rest of his family just carries on afterward. Yeah. They act like nothing fucking happened. They're like, la di da, we're going on a picnic, la di da. They're <laughs> like, oh, we gotta feed him before we go out. And we'll leave him with his audiobooks. <laughs> and this and that, or whatever. And so, oh, everything works out for the people of the coombe. No worries that what's or not killed herself. Um, it's all too good. Um, which is like, at the end of all of it, I, we learn. I, I'm pretty sure, tell me if I'm wrong, Like that's what happened to Grace. So, she fucked up. <coughs> she fell in love with the Harvest Laura, so she ran away. Yeah, so Grace... The discrepancy of Grace's physical size <laughs> is, first of all, the result of some sort of pituitary gland disease, which the doctor tells us is specific to Swedes, um, where, I guess, just part of puberty can sometimes you know, fuck up, and you can grow a bajillion feet, like, in a year or whatever. And so that's what happened, is people were talking about her being a small thing, and then, yeah, oh, fuck, she grew to be, like, seven feet tall, because she wasn't, like, a, she had this thing. Mm-hmm. It ends up being not important at all. But, okay. the, yeah, the idea is that she was corn maiden, she fell in love with the Harvest Lord, and she didn't want to, because she knew she would have to kill him the night of their cup copulation, so um, she tried to run off and... or killed herself or something. It's never really made clear what happened to her, but... I mean, like, I think she's dead, but I don't know how. Yeah, because they open the casket and there's no body. Right. So, yeah, but that's essentially... The the dark sea going to harvest home, too. Grace's revenge. (laughs) Grace's revenge. But that's essentially the idea of what happened to Grace, is that she either killed herself or was killed by the coom for disobedience or... Took off into the wilds of right. you modern can't abandon times. and your duties—you will be punished. Yeah, oh, the blight. Yeah, and supposedly some sort of blight happened as a result of Grace shirking her the duties bad. as corn maiden. A Bad crop. Um, but much like the Wicker Man, there's nothing to indicate that any of this is actually real. Yeah, or that it's just the bullshit. That you rituals know. work. Um, we, they just, everyone there just believes that, believes that they do. Um, now, granted, I don't find the ending to this film nearly as chilling as the ending to The Wicker Man, no. but it's still pretty grim. It's it's disturbing. Oh. And there's no... real <laughs> No, and it's disturbing in a different way because it's like very, you know, the fact that they're living such a domestic, you know carefree life and then all of a sudden you go into the next room and you see that Nick has been blinded his tongue has been removed and he's kind of just forced to sit there knowing what he knows and just you know just you know just exist there so that you know in a sense that's that's more disturbing I guess maybe or disturbing in a different way than the ending of Wicker Man because he has to live yeah he has to live with all the this. trauma yeah yeah you could say well at least Howie died yeah in the Wicker yeah That's it. And it's an interesting point. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so yeah, that's the dark secret of Harvest Home. It's a really, I think a really interesting miniseries and a really interesting look into seventies horror. And one thing I think it does well is it kind of blends the best of sort of like the idea of Salem's lot where you're digging into like Mm -hmm. the town folk and the seedy underbelly of a town that with, strong mystery element yeah with something like wicker man where you've got this pagan crap and this pagan farm yeah. crap um going on like it's like a blend it's like salem's lot meets wicker man i feel like interesting and now that you mentioned salem's lot um because stephen king said that this movie was in his head when he wrote children of the corn yeah there you the go. short story yeah um uh, I don't know if, it, if the movie was in his head or if he had read the book. He's he's talked about the book before because he's talked about the f- book. Yeah, maybe okay. So it might have been he read the book and he was thinking of that when he wrote *Children of the Corn*. In, yeah, I guess because he was talking about how he was like, it's not a very super great book, but it's like a very lasting sort of chilling. It leaves an impression. With yeah. Him. yeah, and you, I mean, you, you can argue that about the mini series as well. It's not, I mean. Technically, it's very bland. There's yeah. no crazy camera work or cinematography. The story is very long and very yeah. convoluted, but it does stick with you. Yeah. Um, and it's interesting <laughs> comparing it to Wicker Man, where you know that is completely pagan, whereas this like very much blends the paganism with pagan Christianity. Puritan. Yeah. yeah, it's like this weird sort of pseudo pagan and pilgrim crap. Yeah. It's really interesting. But it's fun. I think it's fun. No, I... Yeah, no, it was great. Um, I love... I fucking love farm bullshit like this. (laughs) Right? Yeah. You've got all that going on. You've got a good mystery. You have a very horrifying ending. Um, I love anything that's like VHS nostalgia sort of quality to it. I mean, it's not nostalgia necessarily... for me, explicitly, I was not around it's just, at seventy the eight. Nostalgia of that theme and time, oh, VHSs even. Just, yeah. yeah, and um, yeah, because the version and, on YouTube like does the VHS thing where it like yeah. skips yeah. sometimes and stuff. And so it's got all that going on. It's got Betty Davis, just the widow the, Davis, chewing the scenery and having a blast with it. Yeah. Um, and and the Corn Maiden has one of my favorite things from seventies horror. A diaphanous nightgown. You do love those. I love a good diaphanous nightgown. It's out just, in the corn. Out in the corn. You usually don't see that. You usually see it in like the Poe Corman movies in some big <laughs> gothic mansion. Yeah, we, we get one in the this corn. Is, this is Harvest Gothic. Harvest gothic. Harvest Gothic. Oh my gosh. Um, but yeah, guys. So Yeah, the dark secret of Harvard Home. You know, as we said, this was an absolute event. It was on once. If you missed it, you were just fucking left out. You just weren't cool. Even to this day, depending on the version you find, you are just fucking. Yeah, let go. I know, I know. And that's the th- that's the thing. When you guys, if you set out to watch it, watch the one on on YouTube. Yeah. Um, either the one split into two parts, or the one that has it all together. That is the cobbled together, complete version. Yeah. Um. Yeah, but it's it's very interesting. I think. Um, it's interesting to look at for themes of Harvest Horror. I think you could look at it through a lens of 70s feminism. Yeah. Uh, yeah, with the matriarchal society. Yeah, I think there's a lot in here. And um, it's kind of a shame that just sort of given the difficulty of finding it, that more people don't know about it. But um, maybe... We'll have inspired some people to seek it out. Lindsay. <laughs> Lindsay! Watch it, girl. Let us know what you think. Nice. Yes. And other people. Of course. But, you know. Be like Lindsay. Yeah. And um, I can tell you how you can be like Lindsay. Yes. Please do this now. You can email us, as Lindsay did, at splatterchatter669 at gmail.com. You can tweet us at splatterchatter666 minus all the vowels uh, if that's too difficult, just search Splatter Chatter. will pop right up. Um, Instagram, Splatter Chatter 666. On Tumblr, SplatterChatter.tumblr.com. Mr. Cracker's blog is SplatterChatter666.blogspot.com. And he will also tell you about our Patreon. Woo! Our Patreon page can be found at www.patreon.com. There's all kinds of information over there about the show, about myself, about Miss Mel, about why we love horror so much and about why we're doing this podcast every two weeks and needling in your ears um it also has the information about how you can support our show financially if that is of interest to you which we would love um we're taking one five or ten dollar pledges a month. And, um, there's all sorts of various perks attached to, um, those different levels, newsletters and, uh, Q and A's. And, um, maybe even if you were a $10 donor, you can decide, um, the topic of an entire episode, something you might be dying to hear Miss Mel and I talk about, um, give us $10 a month and, and you can tell us what to do now. If you're not in a position to financially donate, but you really want us to know how much you love splatter chatter, you can head on over to iTunes and give us a rating and a review that will keep us in the charts. So when people are looking for horror podcasts, they'll see our name come up there. We'll also take any sort of ratings and reviews and likes on any of our other listening platforms, SoundCloud, Stitcher. Is that it? Yeah. (laughs) SoundCloud and Stitcher. Um, And any love you guys have, that would be great. Um, Or any suggestions. We can take constructive criticism. We can. Now, tonight wraps up our three-part series on Harvard. (coughs) We hope you enjoyed the journey with us. I'm sorry. Um, When we next speak with you guys, I think it's going to be the very end of the month. Or the very beginning of December. Probably the beginning of December. I don't know, Max. I think so. Oh, well. Um... We can't tell you what's coming up next because we're not entirely sure ourselves. So it'll be a surprise, but be on the lookout, uh, be in touch with us until that point. Um, have a wonderful Thanksgiving, everybody. Yeah. Um, don't go sacrificing anyone or anything. Don't go sacrificing everybody. Um, you know, there's, there's plenty out there for everybody. If you're going black Friday shopping, be smart, safe, and careful. And um, until we speak to you guys again, we want to remind you to keep up the creep. Yeah. And for now, we will say adios, au revoir, and das wird's.